Hello again, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Odyssey House Journals. I'm Randall Carlisle, along with my co-host, Rachel Santizo. Hello. And, and this is, when you watch this, it may not be in May or listen to it, but we're recording this in May, and May is Mental Health Awareness Month. Uh, and so we're sort of focusing on mental health awareness. So our two guests are Anna, and, and I'm reading from this because you gave me Anna West from, uh, she's the Workforce Development Coordinator for PCRH, which I had to look up, Primary <laughs> primary Care and Rural Health. Okay, nice. so welcome, Anna. Thank you. I'm glad you actually sent me this information. And Megan Newth, did I say that right? I did. Nice. Okay, and, and you work for we all refer to it in the industry as ouch. Yes. Right? Yeah. yeah. But, but, but you got to spell it out. Yeah, it, well, it's the Association <laughs> for Utah Community Health. Mm -hmm. So if you look at it, it's A U C H. So we are ouchies. Uh, ouchies. <laughs> so we, <laughs> we have an ouchie with us and a, statey, a state worker with us. Do <laughs> you guys have any short terms for that? Um, public servant. Okay. <laughs> okay. So we have a public servant, and we have an ouchie, and, and then we have Rachel and Randall. Yeah, Rachel. yeah, well, we thank you for joining us, and uh, you may be listening on a variety of platforms, or you can watch this on, on YouTube if you just uh, Google it, uh, Odyssey yeah. House Journals. So what, what, do you wanna, what do you want us to know since it's Mental Health Awareness Month? Well, we wanted to talk today about challenges in getting mental health care in rural communities. Mm -hmm. So one of our primary efforts is to make sure people in rural communities can get access to a psychiatrist, a therapist, and other types of providers. And the information you sent me, I mean, our state only has how many people in it? Three and a half million? Something yeah. like this. And, yeah. and, and what you sent me, you said three million mm -hmm. people are underserved. So that'd be pretty much the state. Almost everyone. Yeah. And when you mean underserved, what do you mean? I want help. I can't find it. Um, underserved would mean that there aren't enough providers to meet the population's needs. So there's some kind of like dull ratios of how many people per psychiatrist, per mental health therapist, for people to be able to get an appointment when they need it. Um, essentially, it means that there just aren't enough enough people to provide the services. They may be too far away. Um, there might be even mountain ranges or something in the way between them and the provider. So we look at geographic barriers. We look at distance. Um, and we also look at like special factors, like are there children psychiatrists? Are there recovery professionals? Things like that. People to prescribe as well is a big, mm -hmm. yeah, people who are able to help with psychiatric medications, mm -hmm. like psychiatrists psychiatrists. Um, really important, but a huge shortage, not just here, but nationally. Well, and even in the metro area, uh, what what people don't, I mean, I mean, like just speaking on behalf of Odyssey House, we have maybe 30 open positions. And what mm -hmm. people don't realize is we may have bed space, but if we don't have staff, mm -hmm. then we can't bring people in. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and, and that frustrates us sometimes uh, in, in administration because we'll hear we've got 20 open beds and, mm -hmm. and then, and then admissions will say, we can't admit anyone today. And we'll go, why? Because we don't have staff. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, so what does ouch do, uh, in, in around the state? Cause you're pretty, 
you're pretty robust in providing services. Yeah, so so we um, we don't provide any direct care services, but we serve as a representative of all of the community health centers in the state, or most of the community health centers, and affiliate members, which Odyssey House sure. is an affiliate member. Um, and so we provide um, technical assistance to all of the health centers in terms of things from quality improvement to workforce. And so um, because workforce is such a high need in healthcare, that is something that um, that our funders from the federal government have said, you need to have somebody who is just focused on this all the time. And so Anna and I really get to play mm-hmm. kind of the same role, but in different organizations mm-hmm. of helping make sh- making sure there's enough providers, not just in mental health, which is a very high need, but across all um, kind of uh, medical professions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mental health is one of the biggest. We also look at prescribing medication-assisted therapy, making sure there are providers for that. Um, but another area of interest that we'll be talking about more this summer is um, care for reproductive health needs as well. So there's a lot of different shortages. Mm-hmm. Why do you think there's so much shortage? I think, you know, because mm-hmm. last week we had Dr. Baez yes. from Davis mm-hmm. Behavioral Health, and he, and he brought up the fact that people in working in mental health are pretty much not compensated as well as people with the same skills yeah. working in a different area. And yet the level of responsibility huge. is yes. huge. I mean, yeah. life and death sometimes. So it's a, it's a hard yeah, thing. Yeah, I think it's a high burnout um, sort of career path as well. You really, as an employer, have to make sure there's a ton of protective factors to keep people sure. uh, mm-hmm. healthy. You need, your, you need your workers to be healthy, to be able to serve people mm-hmm. in the best way. And so you see a lot of turnover. Um, in that, mm-hmm. as you spoke to, compensation as well. And then I think just generally, as boomers retire and we're seeing those kind of shortages impact the mental I health sector that. as well. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> no. Everyone should retire. <laughs> no, you're right about Self-care that. And, is important. And, and Dr. Baez last week had such, a, such an amazing attitude about what he does, because he said, he, I wake up every morning and I'm happy because I get to go help people, but the people he's helping have significant issues. And so some people who work in that field, you know, go home every night and go, oh God, did I make a difference? I'm depressed. I, I don't know how much longer I can do this. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's a tough field. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that among our listeners, there may be budding mental health professionals listening. <laughs> so I, I want to kind of shine so. a light on. Yeah. No, so, you're absolutely right. There's a ton of yeah. people who are yeah. who are either thinking about seeking recovery or or mm-hmm. in recovery or have re- or in long term recovery. Mm-hmm. And that lived experience is often something that sparks people to want to go into a social work, psychiatry, psychology profession. Peer support. Peer support. Case management. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, which is incredible to see. So we really are interested in that pathway, um, sort of from lived experience mm-hmm. to the professional experience. And we offer some different incentives so that, you know, if, say, you're in recovery, you've possibly just spend a lot of money um, to get sober. Um, Maybe you're living in sober living or whatever. Taking out student loan debt might feel overwhelming. And so we want people to know that there are scholarship programs. Those are offered federally. 
there are um, student loan repayment programs. So that's what I work on specifically. So someone graduates, all they have to do is get a job in a, in a shortage area, um, which we can tell them what those shortage areas are. It kind of gets complicated. Um, and then sign up for our program, make sure they're eligible, and we'll help them pay back a good chunk of their student loans if they commit to serving that community that needs them the most. So there is kind of some brightness on the horizon for those folks. And I don't want to discourage any listeners from going into no, this no, really no. important profession. And I don't profession. mean to either. Yeah, yeah. It, it yeah. can be very rewarding. It, yeah, yeah, incredibly. And like Megan was saying, if as long as you get those perfect protective factors lined mm -hmm. up and you know, the support you need, mm -hmm. the supervision, I think there, there is yeah. a lot of reward. Um, it may not be entirely financial reward. Absolutely. No, it's not. And, and uh, so somebody, so you're saying somebody who, who is going through a treatment program and graduates or, mm -hmm. or whatever and wants to get into the field, mm -hmm. how do they, how do they find out what help is available? I mean, at Odyssey mm -hmm. House, we make it a, a benefit and we list mm -hmm. the contacts uh, mm -hmm. for people who want to do that. But how mm -hmm. somebody just listening or watching, what, where do they go? Well, it's going to kind of depend on their background, their educational background and their interests. So if they've never gone to college at all, I'm going to just put a little plug in for my college, Salt Lake Community College. It's a which, great which, place to which, start. Which Rachel is a success. <laughs> and, yeah, of, Rachel's yeah. one of my yeah. students, in fact. <laughs> really? Yeah. 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 Um, so what like kind of grades did you get? You already know that because she's sitting here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Award-winning student right yes. here. Yes. Um, we still use her papers as examples really? to other students. <laughs> How about you that? You already knew that. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so Slick is a great place to start, mm -hmm. although I'm not really here to talk about Slick as much. <laughs> um, yeah, but if people do want yeah, to start, because right. a lot of people yeah. think in recovery, they said, okay, mm -hmm. I want to start improving my life. Mm -hmm. And one thing is education. So it's yeah. yeah. a great place. You know, you would declare a major, you can transfer to a school, get a social work degree. And at that point, you'll start, you'll let us know. And you can look on a website called 3Rnet for jobs in shortage areas. And then you'll let us know and we'll help you with loan repayment. So we don't want folks to think I can't do this profession yeah. at all because of the amount of debt. There are options. And then another pathway, if you're like, mm, I'm not sure mm -hmm. if this is, if I'm ready to commit to something like social work. Um, at Ouch, we uh, we also house the Utah Healthcare Corps, um, which allows AmeriCorps members. Uh, we have mm -hmm. lots of community health workers. This is primarily a community health worker program. But one of the sub subsections of that is um, is an AmeriCorps program that actually allows people mm -hmm. to come in. They can do it while they're in school mm -hmm. um, and actually count some of their school time towards their AmeriCorps time. And at the end of that, you get um, an education stipend that you can use to pay off old student loans. You can pay on current um, education or you can save for several years and kind of put towards your education mm -hmm. when you're ready. And you can... Um, you can do multiple consecutive terms of that and kind of um, bank up some more of that money as well. So kind of get your feet wet in the mm -hmm. in the uh, system. That mm -hmm. could be a good option for people. Yeah. We had uh, an AmeriCorps person work for us, and she became our harm reduction specialist for a while. Amazing. And now I think she's I think she's working for the state now. She's like know. our AmeriCorps Vista. She's probably running the world. Right yeah. Now. Yeah. yeah, that's a great program. 
We're talking yeah. a lot about barriers, right? And education mm-hmm. and stuff. And I know not all, but some of the population has criminal backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And that can prevent people from even wanting to look into to schooling, mm-hmm. employment, giving back. And so what would you say to those individuals right now that may feel discouraged? I'm looking at Megan because I'm I don't know all of the criminal background checking yeah. processes for every mental health profession. Yeah. But I know that there are ways to get involved, even if it's as like through a 12 step program. Um, cool. going to 12 step, being a sponsor, there are careers, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but substance abuse counseling. Many substance abuse counselors have a criminal background already. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a program a new program that's working to help people clean up their background. So yeah. clean slate. Clean slate. Clean slate. Yeah. yeah. And, and Rasa. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. and if you just Google they if you Google Clean Slate, if you happen to be somebody out there, uh if if Google Clean Slate Utah and it and it'll ask you a couple questions like, you know, how many offenses you have, are they felonies, misdemeanors? How long have they been on the books? And, and, and they'll tell you whether you're eligible for expungement. Yeah. And a lot of people don't know that they are, mm-hmm. you know, which makes yeah. a big difference. And a lot of employers, I think, are becoming a lot less stringent mm-hmm. upon yeah. whether you say, okay, I was busted for a drug offense six years ago. Right. Uh, and even if it was a felony, it, the point is, is you've, you've gone through and you've made mm-hmm. all these changes mm-hmm. in your life. I think that as employers value lived experience more and more, we're doing more and more justice and equity work as professionals. I think we're going to see that trend continue where um, we understand that people can go through a hard time, recover and bring that lived experience as an asset. I'm curious, why are you so passionate, both of you? Why are you in this field? We're talking about a field that is lacked, but yet we're all here. So I'm really That's a good curious. point. Are we all dumb? Why are we here today? So I was always kind of drawn to this field. I think from the time that I was pretty young, like say middle school, I started to kind of get involved in advocacy and social justice, just a very young age. I feel like I came from a pretty privileged background. Um, not everything was perfect. We definitely have some grandparents who were either in recovery or who had some substance challenges over the years. But, you know, I came from a place where I had everything that I needed. And I just felt like everyone in the world deserved that. And so I kind of had that drive from a very young age to just make sure that what I did with my life was something that made sure that people had access to what they needed, whether it's healthcare or other services. People just deserve to be treated with dignity. Are you still glad you made that decision? I am. I am still glad. You know, I'm about I'm about ten I'll years check in into with working. You Twenty years. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I'm about ten years in, and I'm still I'm still I'm still here. I'm cool. still doing cool. fighting the good fight. So talk to me in another ten years, yeah. and we'll see. <laughs> I'll be dead, but somebody <laughs> can ask you. So, and how about you, Anna? Um, So my background with this topic is maybe a little bit more lived experience. I'm from a rural area. I've had to go to seek medical care in a community with, you know, no providers. Um, And frankly, it was easier to get into the veterinarian 
a lot of the time. So that's, I know <laughs> so, it sounds so funny, no. but that's kind of my childhood emergency contact was the vet. Um, I, I have suicide ideation, uh, <laughs> Dr. Vet. What, you know, what should I, I do? Well, I think we more like had hay in the eye. Yeah, or, yeah, no. <laughs> um, and then. But um, you really did have trouble seeing mm-hmm. a doctor. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, it, when we live in a metro area like this, it, yeah. it's, it's hard to imagine. But if you think of the size of our state, mm-hmm. and the people live all over. It's yeah, right. it could be absolutely hours away. So, so yeah. Continue. And, I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh, that's yeah, okay. And so <laughs> I have kind of that lived experience. And then um, I'm a teacher. I teach students who have been incarcerated or um, who are not U.S. born or um, literacy issues. And a lot of my students have had lived experience around substance use disorder, and I have as well. And just seeing them um, recover and contribute, it really makes you, it it reinvigorates you. So I've got about 25 years in public health, and I don't know if I would still be doing it without my students um, kind of breathing that air of life and freshness into it for me every day. Well, and Rachel's a fine example, you know, know, because she's gotten on to Excel and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, worked at Odyssey and USARA Mm -hmm. and FTR, which is where you are now, and is recognized as really a leader in the recovery community. Yeah. So that's rewarding to you. Very. Incredibly. you know. Yeah. You got to stop. That re- <laughs> reunited and it feels so good. <laughs> totally. and, and at places like like Odyssey House or any other treatment yeah. center, we have a lot of failure, but we mm-hmm. have a lot of success. Yeah. And so you have to sort of look at the success in terms of sticking mm-hmm. with what you're doing as a profession. Mm-hmm. I think it helps to look at those failures as setbacks and relapses yeah. and to just continue to try to believe that tomorrow's a new day. We can try again. Yeah. And the really sad thing is uh, is when you see an obituary and, yeah. and it was somebody who went through your program and they yeah. died from an overdose. And yeah. it's just, it's yeah. sad. Yeah. And know. it happens quite often, like in, in this. Almost once a week. Yeah, in know. this world. I mean, it's miracles and tragedies in one day, mm-hmm. you know. And so it's that motivating factor that there's still a lot of work to do. Like you mm-hmm. two ladies sitting here today, there's still so much work to do. Yeah, but, and we hope others want to join us and kind of join this battle um against all of these social problems and bring more providers into these underserved yeah. areas it is really a battle you know and mm-hmm. i don't know how many people read about it but every single day there's something there's something new there's some new drug combination mm-hmm. like uh trank and and fentanyl yeah. in a heroin shot that causes your skin to go dead and kills people and mm-hmm. it's just uh it's yeah. you know yeah, if I can suggest another solution, and this is something that if there's any employers listening, parents, teachers, is if we can create a caring culture and try to reduce the amount of trauma experience that people have, that can hopefully help prevent um, some of the feeling that you would rather, you know, inject yourself with something that can really hurt you to get a break from reality. Um, if we can prevent the trauma that causes that need to escape. What, it, what, what, what is a caring culture yeah. at a company? Great I, I question. Mean, you throw that word Protective out. Yeah. And, you know. yeah. Good question. Yeah. Do you want to talk about it? Or do you want me to? Um, at a company, I mm. think that it is. Well, she said employers. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I think that it is um, having open communication and an open mm. door that if somebody 
is experiencing a challenge uh, of being able to recognize and support them in that and understand that people come to work every day, not just as your employee, but as a real full human person who has baggage and has all sorts mm -hmm. of things. And if we can kind of support that, I think we can do better work mm -hmm. um, and, and make sure that people have the resources available to them, mm -hmm. kind of whether it's in crisis or kind of as preventative things. Um, I think EAP programs, um, mm -hmm. employee assistance mm -hmm. programs, really important um, to have. And a lot for those who are in the Wasatch Front, a lot of uh, Select Health has an EAP program. A sure. lot of people have that insurance plan. Um, so you can get some services through mm -hmm. them. Um, and if someone yeah. has a job where they're not insured, a community health center would be a good yeah. option if they do need that yeah. kind of support. There's what, 14 of them around There's the state? There's 14 across the state um, in both rural and urban um, and frontier. Um, mm -hmm. And all of them as community health centers, they're one of the first kind of places to provide what we call integrated care now, but I don't think that's what they called it kind of when the health center movement started. So they're required to provide access to uh, mental health, behavioral health services um, in our communities. So it's a really good place to start. Um, An and example of what clinic where? Would so Fourth Street, is Fourth Street one? Fourth Street is one. Okay. Um, yeah. So there is, uh, I'm going to call out um, the uh, uh, Carbon Medical Services Association in, um, okay. in oh, Carbon Price. County, in yes. Price. So they yeah. provide... Um, they have something like five mental health providers wow. on staff. They even do trauma therapy. Um, they do um, uh, EMDR. Um, they mm. have somebody who is trained in uh, in kind of like it, um, sexual health and things like that, like a okay. mental health specialist who's who's trained in in that area. Um, and then they also provide pretty robust MAT services wow. there. Um, and you can see your primary care provider. Um, the primary care providers are often the ones who are providing the MAT services. And, and Price was a horribly underserved area yeah. when it came to mm -hmm. substance use treatment. Mm -hmm. yeah. But it's getting So they're better. doing some really amazing work yeah. there. Yeah. Cool. Um, just to clarify, MAT is medication-assisted therapy. This would be like your buprenorphine. Typically, mm -hmm. it might be methadone. Um, What's that? Um, Vivitrol. Vivitrol. Thank you. Yeah. Vivitrol. So we're like, yeah, we're big on the yeah. Vivitrol. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so that um, that helps people, you know, on their journey yeah. towards sobriety. Yeah, but we have about five minutes left. Okay. What, do, what do you think are the important messages that we should be getting out in this podcast because it is uh, Mental Health Awareness Month? Yeah. Um, well, my first most important message is treat each other as well as you can. Um, and you know, a tip, another tip I have for employers is appropriately sharing that you have struggles too can be something that reduces trauma in your staff. Um, and then our website, which is ruralhealth.health.utah.gov. So if you would like to learn more about loan repayment programs, um, if you're on a pathway to becoming a provider or you already are, even if you want to be a community health worker, a medical assistant, um, come check us out. We also have a shortage of dental hygienists that so we're working. We don't have a program yet, but we're working to provide that kind of service to help those professionals. Yeah. And similarly, if you um, if you are interested in accessing the services of a community uh, of a community health center, 
Um, you can go to ouch.org. That's A-U-C-H dot org. Ouch. 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 Um, and, uh, they and don't you hurt find... people, they help people. Yeah. <laughs> you can find a community health center through our website um, and that you can call them and ask what types of services that they provide. If you're interested in employment, um, you can reach out to me and I can kind of help uh, to connect to people who might be looking for whatever it is that you're interested in doing, or if you're interested in our AmeriCorps program, happy to connect you to our AmeriCorps coordinator. So just just reach out to me. You can find me on our website as well um, and, and get my email, and, and I'm happy to support people. I would love to know real quick. Mm -hmm. You talked about pro um, protective factors. Yeah. Can you just name off a couple? Oh, this is a quiz. Okay, so <laughs> so protective factors um, could be things like uh, social support. Social support, making sure that like you have good supervisory support. Okay. That in crisis, there's some sort of protocols okay. about how to kind of like do a debrief, pull everybody together, or I mean, they can be personal things as well. So like mindfulness, meditation, and things like that. Okay. Great. That you can Faithfully. that you can kind of um, help bring yourself back down uh, mm -hmm. to kind of normal functioning level from from uh, you know elevated. What about kids? Situation. I mean, yeah, teenagers. You know, we we keep seeing growing numbers that they're all mm -hmm. that that they're suffering from a lot of mental illness. Yeah. Uh, so, what can we do? I, I mean, is it? Is it because of social media and interaction on phones and things like that? Or is it because it's harder growing up now? Yes. I don't know. Yeah. You know? yeah. I think that's a hard question to answer. Well, nobody's answered yeah, it. But, yeah, but, yeah. but I know that um, if parents are concerned about their their teens, again, I'm going to plug community health centers. Mm -hmm. It's a good sure. place to go to at least kind of get screened and see it and try and catch things early. Um, mm -hmm. I think that preventative care and talking about mental health with teens, I think we can't be afraid to have those conversations with our children. I have those conversations now with my three-year-old mm -hmm. about recognizing when, you know, when, when we're having big feelings and that it's okay and how to work through that and trying to help her with those coping mechanisms. We just mm -hmm. have to, we have to be able to talk about it. Um, okay. And, and catch and, it early yeah and for the adults to take care of their mental health so that they're setting a good example that's helpful um i think each of us have things that we know work for us and really focus on those positive assets that you have whether it's you know like for me today getting to see rachel and be with you all um that's something i can really savor all yeah. week that will help build my resilience and so by doing that for ourselves we've learned how to do it for other people i think i one thing i've noticed in the recovery community is we do a lot of hugging oh, we're, yeah. uh, mm -hmm. we're happy to see each other and that we're still in recovery and we haven't mm -hmm. relapsed and and it's it's a loving community mm -hmm. to yeah. get into that's a protective factor right mm -hmm. there, yeah. is to yeah. know you have a loving community around you. Mm -hmm. Social isolation is a big risk factor sure. in yeah. recovery mm -hmm. and oh, yeah. for anybody. Yeah, mm -hmm. another good one is exercise. And, you know, Rachel's running one of our... <laughs> yeah. That's why it she is. looks yeah. so fit. <laughs> yeah. um, that's another protective factor. And I want, I want to call out that Services Odyssey House provides, too, oh, yeah. and that expertise. And I'm sure mm -hmm. you can, even listening to this podcast and getting those takeaways... Would be things that would be health promoting, sure. mental health. Promoting. And I think 
being on the other side. So being in that profession, um, giving that safe space to be vulnerable, like to be real with what you're you're going through. So for instance, ours was education and mm-hmm. I was able to just beat me. I talked about my substance use disorder, mm-hmm. sure. the lingo that we use. And so providing, if you were in that profession, providing safety for what people may go through or what may, may feel. So we normalize that instead of shaming it. Exactly. It's a big thing. And I know that mm-hmm. that's what you provided for me. Thank so, you. And yeah. people are more willing now to, I mean, when... Yeah. Years ago, like a hundred years ago, when I was growing up, you know, if, if there was somebody in the community who was an alcoholic, they'd say, well, he just drinks a lot. Or if, or like when a teenage girl would get pregnant, they would send them out of town to some other place to have a baby. Yeah, uh, you know, so they're yeah. just not, they're, we're a lot more honest now. Mm-hmm. I think that's good. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. Yeah. And that may be part of why our rates are going up is people are telling the truth. Yeah, about how they feel. Yeah, I don't don't really know that depression and anxiety are any more common now. I think it's just people have the skills and tools to recognize Mm -hmm. it um, and have words to talk about it. Mm -hmm. I think you're absolutely right on that. Well, we're out of time. Thank you very Uh, much. Yeah, thank you. Megan and Anna and Rachel, good to see you all again. You too. I'm glad you got good scores from your professor. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, It's all being vulnerable right here on the table. I hope you enjoyed watching or listening to another edition of Odyssey House Journals. (laughs) 